Hi everyone, you're listening to Beyond the Benchmark, the EFG podcast. My name is Mo Zafsa, I'm the Global Chief Investment Officer for EFG. So today we have Mansueto Almeida, who is the Chief Economist for BTG Pac-12. So Mansueto, welcome. Well, thank you very much for, I mean, for inviting me to come here. It's a pleasure being here. No, well, th- thank you. And uh, all the way from Sao Paulo. Yes, I mean, directly from Sao Paulo after two years of all, I mean, being able to travel. But finally, I mean, things <laughs> yeah. changes for the better. Is this your first uh, first visit uh, outside of uh, Brazil or? No, the first time, the, f- the, the first visit, I mean, after the COVID-19, yes. Oh, wow. oh my word, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I was in Latin America last week and that was my first trip as well. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully the world is starting to come back to normal. So, um, Matthew, you're here for the BTG uh, conference here in, in London, in Europe. So, before we kind of get into uh, the economics of, uh, of Brazil and some of the key trends where you're, that you're seeing... You've been seeing clients, you're seeing people. What's the kind of general mood of uh, of individuals you've met uh, in London? You know, everybody is a little bit, you know, concerned about the Brazilian elections. You have uh, elections for president in Brazil this year. So everybody, I mean, uh, is raising questions about, you know, if Brazil continue to do the fiscal consolidation, Brazil needs to improve the public finance. Will the next government continue to do that? Uh, what's the, you know, the policies that uh, could come from different candidates? So, you, you, you know, you have a left-wing candidates ahead in the polls. So everybody is I mean, raising questions whether or not the current economic policy you continue or we face the risk of having a radical change in economic policy. So a lot of doubts about, I mean, what could happen in Brazil after the election, you know, next year. People are less concerned about this year because it's the last year of the, the current mm. president. So investors are much more, I mean, uh, trying to figure out what could be uh, the policy, the economic policy of the next Brazilian president. Before we go to let's let's look at now. So what is the current status what are your expectations for uh, for growth in, in, in Brazil this year? What's your thought process around, obviously, interest rates? Obviously, there's some, some more upward pressure there, but uh, maybe you could maybe run through your key uh, economic forecasts. I mean, good. I mean, this year we have good and bad news. I mean, the good news is that, you know, uh, the, the price of commodities is going up. And Brazil is a major exporter of commodities, as, as is, it is the case of many other countries in Latin America. So every time that commodity price goes up, it's always good to Brazil. So you're talking about a country that 50% of the export is linked to free products, uh, iron ore, soybean, and uh, oil. So, I mean, uh, we have uh, probably uh, the highest uh, a trade, a balance of trade surplus, a very, very small current account deficit. Uh, which means there's a very strong balance of payment uh, together, you know, with a very comfortable situation in terms of uh, external debt and the stock of reserves. This is completely different from Brazil 20 years ago. So pretty much, you know, you have good news coming from the from the world, from the high commodity price. But on the other hand, you know, we have now, I mean, uh, uh, this problem with inflation, worldwide inflation. And in Brazil, is not different. And uh, the good news is that our central bank started to hike interest rate last year in a very fast way. And now you're heading to uh, interest rate around 13%, which, which is very, very high. You're talking about a real interest rate for the next 12 months between 6 and 7%. It's probably among the, the highest in the world. 
So you know, this is on the one hand, it's good news because you're fighting inflation. You you know you you you're doing exactly what we expect. We expect to bring inflation back to the target. But on the other hand, this will harm GDP growth. We expect that this year the Brazilian GDP growth will be around 0.3, 0.5, and because of high interest rate, you know, this high interest rate is taking out 1.5 percentage points of growth. So, I mean, you grow, uh, you know, very, very slow this year because of this high interest rate. It's bad news, but it's temporary. I think, you know, sometimes you need to do what it, whatever it takes to bring inflation back to the target. And this is much more important, uh, you know, than doing anything else. Because once you succeed in bringing inflation back, you can cut interest rate. Uh, so, I mean, we're going to grow this year around 0.5, interest rate high, 13%. Uh, very good, I mean, uh, surplus in the, the balance of in, in trade balance, you know, and uh, and because of high price, uh, you have a high cost to, to in terms of the, the to, to service the debt, the local debt. But despite that, you know, uh, it, we're in a, you finish this year in a much better situation than you expected uh, after the COVID because the Brazilian government, as UK government, as US government, spent a lot during 2020. And we had a primary deficit of near 10% of GDP. But the good news is that we expected for this year a primary deficit near zero. So it's really, really amazing, you know, having in mind that two years ago they had a primary deficit of 10% of GDP. So basically, I mean, that's the, the, you know, the, the, the most important macro parameter for this year. Mm. So um, just kind of step back a bit. Um, obviously, you're looking at half percent um, GDP growth for this year. What is the trend growth rate for Brazil in your mind? Um, and what needs to be done, do you think, to get it with high productivity with a high growth rate? You know, that's a good question. Even before the COVID-19 crisis, you know, Brazil was not performing well in terms of GDP growth. Brazil was growing around 1.3% per year. And this is very, very low, I mean, uh, for an for emerging economy. You know, you expect that emerging economy will grow around 3%, 4% per year, but not 1% or 2%. And, you know, we don't have a good answer for that because in the last five years, Brazil did a, a lot of important reforms. But probably in the last four or five years, well, you're still dealing with the past. Brazil did a lot of mistakes from 2009 to 2014, you know, increased too much the role of the state, uh, increased, you know, public lending coming from public banks, charging subsidized interest rate to promote firms and sectors. So this increased, we increased a lot the gross debt because of that to, to make the public banks stronger, you know, was many, many mistakes. Uh, and probably from 2016 to 2020, we're dealing with the past, we're fixing the past, even doing, you know, changing the regulatory framework for investment in airports, ports, highways, sanitation. So probably, I think, you know, if the next government continue on the track, that if you continue to approve important reforms, and I think that the most important one that Brazil needs to approve in the next government, the tax reform, Brazil has a very, very complex tax system and a very high tax burden, and we need to improve that. If you continue on this track and continue to do the fiscal consolidation, you know, I think we can grow at least, I mean, something around 2.5% per year in the coming years. But in order for this to happen, we need to continue to do the homework. It means doing the fiscal consolidation and also, I mean, approve a tax reform. 
the, the probably you know the most difficult reform that Brazil approved recently was the pension reform. Mm-hmm. Brazil is a still a very young country. You will not be 20, 30 years from now, but we spend on pensions 13% of GDP, very very high. And uh, until 2018, you know the, the the average age of retirement in Brazil was 54 years old. People get retired in Brazil used to very, very young. You know, it's not possible to grow when people, you know, stop working at 54 years old. Finally, after 20 years, back in 2019, we finally approved the pension reform. But still, I mean, there is a long list ahead. Mm. So obviously pension reform, everybody was looking forward to that, uh, that reform. And certainly a lot of people were like, Is this going to happen? Isn't this going to happen? Was it popular? <laughs> Obviously not if you're 54 years old uh, or coming up to retirement because you need to work for a little bit longer. But 13% of GDP just seems just crazy. No, you're right, exactly. You know, it was not popular. But something that we learned when debating about the pension reform is that, you know, uh, in a democracy, you really have to spend a lot of time, you know, to explain to the population some hard you know decisions that you need to that you need to take some reforms that you need to get it approved in the congress and you know what happened in brazil is that we spent three years debating pension reform we sent the first proposal to the congress back in december 2016 and then we spent 2017 2018 2019 a new government debating the pension reform You know, slowly, the, the majority of the, the population, you know, started to understand that we needed to do something. At the end, you know, the majority of the people, the majority of the population was still against the pension reform. But, you know, it was a little bit divided. 54% against and 46% pro the pension reform. But what matters in a democracy, you know, is the ability of the government, you know, to convince the congressmen to build a coalition and to convince that it's necessary to approve one reform, you know, to make things better. And I think the last two governments uh, succeeded in doing that. Finally, we got the support of the Brazilian Congress, which it's, you know, it's a Congress with over 30 political parties, but we got, you know, the support of the majority of political parties to approve the reforms. And it was fantastic because now after that, you know, the, the speed of growth in the, uh, with pension expenditure uh, went down by 70%. Mm. And hence why the deficit started to improve and, and move in the right direction. Um, so what is the outlook from a financial markets perspective? Um, obviously, rates going up to uh, 13%. Uh, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, what's your kind of view on the currency? Do we see um, currency strength? Um, you know, now obviously rates are higher, but more importantly, those real rates are 6% or 7% make the currency quite attractive exactly you know you know if you look back to our history since the second world war all the major crisis in brazil was always linked uh, to balance of payment problems but this is not the case anymore if you look back 20 years ago if you go back to 2002 brazil in 2002 had a public sector stand on debt around uh, 130 billion dollars exactly the same of today so this the public sector is stand on that today is the same of 20 years ago but it's a big difference because 20 years ago the reserves of brazil uh, our uh, stock of reserves or something around five billion dollars nowadays it's 370 billion dollars 
So I mean, amazing. Brazil now is the net creditor in dollar. Every time that the dollar gets more expensive, you know, the, the fiscal numbers get better, improved. So it's, it's quite different. And also, if you look to our balance of payments, uh, the current account debt expected for this year is 0.7% of GDP for a FDI that you expect to reach near 4% of GDP. So, I mean, it's a, it's a very comfortable situation in terms of stock and in terms of flow. So last year was really, really difficult to explain, you know, why our currency was losing value. Brazil, the Brazilian currency, the real, was among, you know, the, the, worst before, the, the worst ones in the world from the beginning of the crisis until, you know, last year. But now finally, you know, it started to getting uh, stronger. And you're right, because I think two things. First of all, you know, uh, with higher interest rates, you know, you have higher profits coming to Brazil, you know, to, to put your money on fixed income. And I mean, and another thing is that what happened with the, especially with, with this, the, the exchange market, in the, with the stock market in the US, linked to tech companies. You know, you're in the world that with low interest rate, with zero interest rate, people uh, put a lot of faith on growth of tech companies. And suddenly they realize that, listen, probably we have positive interest rates from now on. And uh, these people started to look into what we call valuation. And you have many, many good commodity producers in Brazil and Latin America as well that will benefit for this high commodity boom. And many, many foreign investors starting to, to look again to Brazil and Latin America, and they realized that many enterprises were very, very cheap. And so they started pulling their money you know, back to the country, to, to, the, to, to, our, to our stock market. So now, you know, uh, you, have, uh, you have high interest rate that you bring more money to fixed income. You have, you know, many, many important enterprise, large enterprise producers of commodities that became very, very cheap and attract, you know, new, new investors. So, I mean, it, it, and you have a very comfortable situation in the best of payments. So it's, it's the how, how, how I put the perfect scenario for the, for the BRL, for our accuracy to become stronger. So moving then on to political uh, mm -hmm. certainty or uncertainty, um, obviously we have elections coming up. What's the, the kind of the general view? Who's more pro the markets? Who's more negative the markets? Uh, or do you think it doesn't matter? You know, I think every single candidate with you know different proposals, they, all of them think they're pro-market. Right. <laughs> Although, I mean, some of them have, I mean, they believe too much in the role of state in promoting development, which it's a problem with the whole Latin America. And today, you know, in many other countries, uh, I think, you know, a side effect of the, the, the 2008 world crisis and now with the COVID-19 pandemic is that people started to believe too much that the government has the power to promote development, you know, uh, put in place industrial policy, cutting uh, some interest rate, from giving subsidy to, to some sectors, etc. And, you know, it's very risky. But uh, in general, uh, you know, nowadays Brazil understands that, you know, we need to continue to do the reform and we need to continue with fiscal consolidation. But on the other hand, uh, we're talking about Brazil and in Latin America that have very, very high income inequality and the people expect a lot from the government. So in order to win an election, in Brazil or Latin America, you need to talk, you know, uh, to the uh, to the population and promote and, and talk about, you know, fighting poverty, cutting income inequality, you know, 
gave more uh, insurance to the population. So uh, at the, I think the trick, and I think what everybody is looking at, it's how to, you know, to continue to do the fiscal adjustment at the same time, you know, meet the high expectations from the public in terms of policy to fight poverty, to improve health, education, and cut income inequality. And that is not easy because pretty much it's the same debating all over the world today. People want uh, demanding you know, more social insurance for the government at the same time that the majority of the governments in the world after COVID-19 crisis, they need to do a fiscal adjustment. They need to cut that. So that's the trick. So at this point, you see a lot of promise, uh, uh, different, you know, uh, policy proposal from different candidates, but it's still at the beginning of the political campaign. It's still it's not very clear, you know, how you put everything together. They need to con they, they need to continue with the reforms, plus you know, uh, the, meet the high expectations of the population in terms of social policy. It, it's still uncertainty. But, but you know, at least now in Brazil, people are more aware that, listen, we, we need to be very careful. We cannot, you know, continue to increase expenditure as we did for over 20 years. And at the end, you could, you know, uh, have a crisis. So let's see. But it's too early to see, I mean, how uh, concrete, how credible, you know, it's the, the, the policy proposal from different candidates, I mean, to put together fiscal consolidation with, you know, uh, more target social policies to fight poverty and income inequality. Mm -hmm. A difficult one. So um, talk us through, obviously, Bolsonaro is there, but what's the, what's the general direction of, uh, of, 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 I guess, for him, but also um, other incumbents that are waiting or the more left incumbents that are waiting in the wings? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's see, let's put it this way, you know, Bolsonaro in terms of economic policy has a good track record. As, uh, as we've seen with pension reform and... Exactly. And, and, and you know, we shouldn't... Oh, often he gets a lot of headlines, right? Yeah. He's, he's uh, I, I guess he's, uh, he's he, he blows up the Twitter feed or, or certainly uh, um, taking the place of Trump sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and then exactly. Now, now Trump's gone, but he obviously gets a lot of headlines, right? And, yeah. And certainly the external view of him yeah. versus the internal view of him is actually quite different, I guess. Yeah, very. No, no, it's not that different because even today in Brazil, many people are not aware of the economic reforms yeah, that his true. government approved. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you have sometimes, you know, uh, uh, he's very controversial. See, he's not good in terms of, you know, as a public, doing a PR public relation to what he did, what he accomplished. And I mean, pretty much, you know, uh, he was hurt by the, a, a constant fight with the Brazilian press and worldwide. Mm. So many foreign investors are really afraid, I mean, about what is happening in Brazil. They mm. think that Brazil don't care about environmental legislation anymore, about labor legislation anymore. So, I mean, they're, but then when you start talking, you show the numbers I and mean, they really get impressed. Mm. So, I mean, uh, Bolsonaro has a problem of perception because on the one hand, his economic record is good. I mean, he, he was able to approve dif difficult reforms with the support of, you know, different political parties, even from political parties that don't like him, doesn't like him. But on the other hand, you know, he really failed in terms of explaining uh, the benefit of these reforms. And every single day, there is a new problem between Bolsonaro and the, the Congress and the Supreme Court. So a lot of noise. And because of this high noise, you know, it 
uh, almost like, you know, many people have the feeling that Brazil stopped four or five years ago, that Brazil is not uh, moving forward. So, I mean, uh, that's the problem because uh, on the economic side, uh, we made many, many poor and we approved many poor reforms in Brazil in the last five years. But many people, uh, because of this strong polarization, have the feeling that, you know, uh, Brazil is not moving ahead. Brazil, I mean, uh, is not is not doing great. Brazil have ha, Brazil has many risks, and this is not true. You have the risk that you know we already have had three, four, five, six months ago, six sorry, six years, seven years, ten years ago. Mm. But we did a lot of important reform last year. But Bolsonaro, you know, he's not very good in showing. I mean, what what he did that was very very good for the country. He, you know, he's losing the, the battle of communication. And you know that in public policy, uh, besides the fact that you need to do right, you need to communicate that you did right, that you did something good for the country. And, you know, his, his, him and his people and his team failed in doing that. That's why, you know, uh, despite of the economic record, uh, you know, he's not doing great in the polls mm. to mm. be reelected for next year. Mm. So talk us through if Bolsonaro doesn't get re-elected, you know, who are the other, maybe other two candidates that we should watch out for? You know, in, in Brazil, you have all this debate because the one who is, I mean, uh, leading the polls is former President Lula, Lula yeah. who was president from 2003 to 2010. Yeah. And then you have Bolsonaro in the second place, and then you have uh, many other candidates right. splitting the votes. And, and people call in Brazil a third avenue because uh, people know who is Bolsonaro, people know who is Lula. And then the third candidate would be something new, uh, a new president. Right. But you know, the problem with the third, what you call the, the third avenue, mm-hmm. the, the, the third option, is that you know, the vote, the vote is, is split among many of them. Right. So none of them is very competitive. Right. So it's still in too early in the process of the election, the political campaign. Mm. But, you know, it seems that you know, Lula and Bolsonaro, they have a very, very strong, you know, uh, portion of the electorate, each one of them. Mm. So everybody is talking about what would be a Lula government or a Bolsonaro government. You know, at this point, it's really difficult to say that, you know, any of them will be much different from the other. Of course, Bolsonaro portrayed himself as a candidate from the right, and Lula portrayed himself as a candidate from the left. But again, you know, we're talking about a country that don't have much difference between, you know, the proposals of the right or the left. Everybody in Brazil, they like states. They like, you know, they, they, they demand strong social policy. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, pretty much, you know, you have some difference, but again, not that much. I, I think, you know, pretty much the new president in Brazil, he doesn't have much room to do a lot of things different from what we've been doing the last four or five mm-hmm. years because mm-hmm. we still need to do a fiscal consolidation. It, it's true that, you know, this year we expect a primary deficit in year zero, but Brazil needs to run a primary surplus of at least... 2% of GDP in order uh, to cut the debt to GDP because you have a very, very high tax, uh, a very high debt mm. uh, in relation to GDP. So you need to control, you need to improve even more the fiscal numbers in order to cut this, the, the, the debt, the government debt. And so, I mean, the choices of the next government, there is not much difference. What is the risk? The risk is that you have a new government that you promised too much in terms of public policy. 
and you know and forget the you know to continue with the fiscal consolidation and then you'll be, if this happens it'll be a mess because you know the risk of Brazil today is not the risk of a radical uh, economic policy change the the risk that we had back in 2002 when Lula was first elected nobody knew what what would be a left-wing government in Brazil the mm-hmm. risk of uh, Brazil in the coming years is the risk of frustration mm-hmm. comes a new government promise a lot and the market get you know, uh, pleased with what it hears from a new government, and then this new government doesn't deliver, and then you go into an avenue of low growth and high interest rates. So mm-hmm. the risk is not of a disruption. The risk is a frustration. That's why it's very, very important to push both of them, both candidates, and all the candidates, but especially Bolsonaro and Lula, and all the others, to, to make it more clear, I mean, what do you intend I mean, to do in order to continue with the fiscal consolidation, you know, fight poverty, fight income inequality, and promote growth, you know, without putting in risk the fiscal numbers? Uh, it's not clear yet. So pretty much, you know, the doubts that the, the, the public, the investors have concerning a Lula government, exactly the same that the same investors have concerning Bolsonaro government. For mm-hmm. the market, you know, there are many doubts, I mean, in relation to two of them. Although one is from the right and the other from the left. Mm. So continuation is the or continuation of policy direction is the key message, whoever comes in. Exactly. Uh, so that's a, that, that is going to be the, the, the key driver. I guess once you're over the hump of interest rates, uh, interest going up, interest then start to come down, Obviously, that also improves the fiscal situation as well, given the uh, the overall level of interest rates. Exactly, you know, because in Brazil we have a problem that is different from many other places in the world. In, in terms of our debt, you know, ninety percent of our debt is financed domestically, mm. so it's different from many countries yeah. in Europe and yeah. many countries in Latin America. So, uh, uh, but then you know, our debt is very very short term. It's very difficult for to Brazil to Brazilian government to to sell, you know a long-term bond, mm. a 10-year maturity mm. bond, because the cost is very, very high. Mm. So usually, in order you know, uh, to save money, you usually sell in your short-term bonds. But the problem is that when you have you know, to hike interest rate, to fight inflation, you know, it immediately translates in, in a higher you know, debt service. So you, you really need, I mean, uh, to have a, uh, you know, a very clear agenda in the next government in order for the central bank next year cut interest rate, bring inflation back to the target, and then you cut the debt service. This, is, this will be key because if you have a new government and if investors don't trust in the agenda of the new government in terms of fiscal consolidation, you know, we risk of having a high interest rate for a longer time and then this will harm the, 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 you know, the, the, the fiscal numbers and the debt you continue to grow very, very fast. So, I mean, that's key. You know, the challenge, when I talk to foreign investors, what they want to see is some plan that we can look ahead and say that, listen, in three or four or five years, the debt in Brazil, you starting going down year after year. Mm. So it's not clear yet uh, when this will happen. That's why it's very, very important, you know, for the new government to make it clear its fiscal agenda. Because, I mean, you know, now we have in Brazil central bank uh, uh, independent, but you cannot rely on central bank to do the fiscal reform. It, course, it's not yeah, yeah. it's not the role of the central bank. And mm-hmm. they, if you don't show, if the new government doesn't show to the investors that you know if you do that, you do the fiscal, you continue the fiscal consolidation. You know, the central bank cannot do anything. You know, they they need to to 
work with a very high interest rate, and this will increase that savings. It will be very, very bad for the country. It's Brazil back in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. So you don't want that, but, yeah. but it's a challenge. Uh, very, very interesting. And, you know, clearly, COVID, um, the COVID environment uh, you know, created lots of deficits for many, many countries. It's, it's a global phenomenon uh, that uh, one has to tackle, and uh, uh, I think it's uh, you know, inevitable that will create some some issues domestically yes. you know, when you're when you're looking at that. in fact the UK is facing a similar <laughs> challenge as we move into uh, into further move into 2022 um, so the other question I wanted to ask you um, was around industries within Brazil which are the kind of key industries obviously we talked about commodities great time uh, at the moment with commodity prices you know uh, sky high respect to Ukraine but not just Ukraine is also the global economy is is obviously a lot stronger than it has been over the last couple of years. Um, what are the kind of key industries that you're looking out for going forward in terms of um, you know, being kind of real drivers for growth? Um, obviously, the financial sector has always been very important within within Brazil, and you know, uh, just noting that obviously BTG Pactual has a, a new fintech you know uh, area, but obviously there's quite a few others, and you've got New Bank, and you've got um, you know others that are are, are also um, doing their uh, doing their best within financial services. What are kind of the key industries uh, industries that you are keeping your eye on? You know, uh, Brazil has a, 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 a I mean a key difference uh, among all the other countries in Latin America because we have a, a lot of diversification in, in terms of our you know in terms of our productive sector. So you're very we are very very strong in agriculture. You're very strong in oil production. You know, the trade balance linked to the oil in Brazil in the last 12 months was $20 billion surplus. So you have a very competitive oil industry, a very competitive agriculture sector. And now we still have a, a very strong industry, but the industry in Brazil, the manufacturing, you know, is losing ground in the last 10 years. Uh, Probably because, you know, all these problems linked to high tax burden, you know, lack of reform that just advanced uh, in, in the recent years. But, you know, there is something that is good news that could a lot help uh, uh, GDP growth in Brazil in the coming year. It's infrastructure. Uh, if you look to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, Brazil, the, inf- the investment infrastructure in Brazil was highly dependent on the budget, highly dependent on public investment. And this is not the case anymore. In the last five years, Brazil approved many important reforms, uh, you know, changed the regulatory framework for investment in the gas sector, in, in the energy sector, in sanitation, uh, in ports, in highways, in railways, in airports. And now, different from five, six, seven years ago, the majority of the new auctions, uh, it, 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 you know, it, it goes to, to private firms. It's private investment. And this is really amazing because, uh, you know, in the last four or five years, uh, the public investment went down sharply. And then you see, you know, uh, private funding coming to this new project of, uh, of infrastructure investment. So nowadays, if you look ahead to the next, you know, two, three, five years, you have a pipeline of investment infrastructure that is going to happen because the auctions, uh, you know, already took place. Like, for instance, two months ago, no, three months ago, we did the auction for the investment in the 5G technology in Brazil. And so these new enterprises, you know, that participated in the auction and, and, and succeeded, they, they have a commitment to do the investment in the coming years. 
So something that could help a lot in terms of boosting the Brazilian GDP is this new wave of investment infrastructure based on private money. So it's, it, it's really amazing. And then if you move ahead, if you know, open more the economy, if you approve the tax reform, the next government, this could you know, add some more points in our growth. But at least if you look to the agriculture sector in Brazil, it's very competitive. It doesn't matter who in the election, the sector continue to become competitive. Uh, probably in the last uh, eight years, it will grow around at least 25, 30%. If you look to, if you look to the oil sector, You know, the oil sector in the coming years, the production yield goes up because of the investment that already happened in the last 10 years in the pre-salt oil field. Uh, so it's, again, I mean, it's a very good uh, it's very good news. And then if you look to infrastructure, you also have I mean, increasing infrastructure investment because of all these auctions based on new regulatory framework that was approved in the last four or five years. So, you know... When you look ahead, it's a very good scenario, but we don't, we cannot say anything about manufacturing mm. and service because, mm. in order to have, you know, a, a growth, a, a more consistent growth on manufacturing and the service sector, we need to approve reforms. Uh, it, it's still an open question whether or not you know you'll be able to approve reforms that we need to approve to boost the the growth, the production growth, and the productivity in those sectors, service and manufacturing. The others, oil, agriculture, infrastructure, you do well. Mm. It's quite interesting. Obviously, Embraer has hasn't exactly been the greatest uh, uh, miracle of uh, of aviation recently, right? Uh, it was always thought it was a very very innovative company, but just kind of lost their way. It is, you know, it, it is a very interesting company, a very innovative one. And you know, Embraer, the history of Embraer is completely different from the state intervention in the history of Brazil. Because Brazil always tried to boost some sectors, you know, protecting from international trade. You know, mm. the, the case of Embraer is different because you know Embraer was competitive exactly because it was able to import 85, 90% of your input. Mm. So Embraer mm. was always free to buy what's the best in the world mm. to put together, you know, and build an airplane. Mm. So, you know, it's strange because uh, Brazil for many years tried to have a, a local automobile company and failed. Mm. Brazil doesn't have a mm. local automobile company. You have, you know, manufacturers that, uh, that go to Brazil to produce cars there, mm. but they don't have mm. a domestic company competitive in, in the automobile sector. But you succeed in doing that, you know, in something that is much more difficult, airplane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Airplane. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's funny because, again, since the beginning, uh, Embraer had, you know, freedom to import what's best in the world and bring in, uh, to Brazil to build its airplane. It's different from many other sectors. Like in Brazil, until 1990s, you know, it was very difficult to buy computers, mm. uh, you know, outside, overseas, because it was, you had a lot of protection uh, that avoided you to bring new computers to the country. So, I mean, unfortunately, all this crazy thing, all this ex excessive control on imports, I mean, it went down. But Brazil is still a very close economy. Still have a long way to go, you know, to, to become more close to the to the world economy. Mm. No, it's 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 quite interesting. I know you probably noticed this on 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 the way back home uh, when I went to Buenos Aires last week. I went via Sao Paulo, and the business class was completely full mm. till Sao Paulo, and then completely empty from Sao Paulo to Buenos Aires. <laughs> But it was very very interesting. You know, one always gets a sense that Brazil, certainly, I guess, high end is very, very affluent, uh, you know, country and quite sophisticated in many, many ways. 
but this kind of gap between rich and poor is just so huge. Yes, yes, you know, it, 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 that's interesting because, you know, in Brazil, if you go to some rich places like Sao Paulo, mm. sometimes you have the feeling of being in London, of <laughs> being in New York, yeah, yeah. but at the same time, you know, it's a very unequal country. Yeah. So we need to deal with that. I think any government, you know, uh, has this challenge in Brazil and in Latin America as well, I mean, to deal with poverty and mm. inequality. Mm. You know, and, and, and the, let's say uh, the challenge of Brazil is because different from many other Latin America countries, you already spend a lot with what we call welfare state. If you look to the tax burden in Brazil, it's similar to UK, around 33, 34% of GDP. Mm. But then you look to, you know, income inequality, Gini index, before and after the state intervention. Here in UK, the income, the income inequality goes down after the state intervention, something around 34, 35%. In Brazil, 14%. Mm. So it tax as much as UK, but you're not effective, you know, using those resources to bring down income inequality. So mm. uh, the challenge of Brazil, different from many other places, is not to increase the expenditure, but to make it more effective, change the composition of expenditure in order mm. you know, to, to, uh, to, to bring down income inequality. So it, 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 it's not easy, mm. because when you start doing something wrong in terms of social policy, it's very difficult to change. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so maybe this last question, thinking outside of Brazil now a little bit and the borders of Brazil. And obviously one common theme is exactly income inequality, uprising generally. You've seen some relatively stable countries like Chile also going, you know, uh, more hostile, let's put mm -hmm. it that way, from a, from a uh, political perspective. Same with Peru. We've seen that as well. So what is your kind of overall assessment you know, of the situation, you know, throughout Latin America, obviously Brazil is the most or one of the most important um, economies in Latin, but what's your thought about the, the external environment or nearby environment? I mean, good. I mean, you know, when you're talking about Latin America, when you have this, you know, uh, this scenario of high commodity price, it's always good for Latin America. Yeah, I was, uh, every, when I was there last week, everybody was very happy that uh, <laughs> the prices were a little bit higher. Obviously yeah. not so happy with... Uh, with uh, with war and and the impact on their portfolios, exactly. but but generally happy about commodity prices. Yeah. But in the case of Brazil, I, sh I think that the funny thing today in Brazil that you know uh, some years ago, I used it to think you know you, you used it to look to other countries in Latin America and you see a lot of stability, political yeah, yeah. stability. Yeah. And now yeah. you know we see that in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Because in Brazil, we have a very, let's say, conservative Congress that moves toward the center. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter who wins elections in Brazil, the next president, you need to do, you need to deal with a Congress that is moving to the center. Right. So there is no, no room to radical po economic policy changes. Right. This is very different, very different from all the other countries yeah. in Latin America. Yeah. Because nowadays, you know, you, you see, I mean, many left-wing candidates being elected in Chile, uh, you know, in Peru, mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, and it's not clear how you're going to build a coalition, you know, uh, to govern. Uh, and, and there is a very, very high expectation on these new presidents that are promising a lot. So, uh, you know, uh, it's funny because, I mean, in Peru, you had the new president who was elected six months ago. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's probably been changing the gap, the cabinet in six months, four times. Mm -hmm. Almost every single month, there is a new, you know, uh, uh, a new try to impeach him in the Congress. Mm -hmm. And then you have Argentina that needs to do an agreement with IMF in order, uh, you know, 
to do the to, to service the debt. And then you have Chile that you have a new president, but we don't know the constitution because at the same time there is a constitutional assembly in Chile to write a new constitution. Yeah. So you have a new president that you that will govern without knowing exactly at this moment what will be the constitution in the country. So when you look everything that is happening in Latin America, you know, it seems that Brazil is doing well <laughs> because what yeah. used to be a very unstable country in terms of political situation with over 30 political party, now, now you have some kind of stability despite the strong political polarization. But, you know, in the short term, uh, at, at least now the, with the high commodity price, it's true that hurts, you know, low-income low, low families. But on the other hand, you know, it helps a lot, many countries in Latin America. But, you know, the challenge is the same. Latin America needs to approve, you know, pro-market policy and focus on growth, you know, to, in order to fight poverty and income inequality with the right social policy. Let's not give subsidy to the rich. Mm-hmm. Let's focus subsidy in the poor families, and let's do the and let's do the homework because uh, you know it's a very interesting region uh, with many good people in different countries. So you know it has everything to grow. We don't. We are not in the middle of wars in Latin America. It's a very peaceful region. So I mean things can work, but again. The same challenges ahead. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, I think that's very well said and, and a very nice uh, conclusion uh, to the podcast. So, Matsuta, thank you very much. Uh, that was uh, very interesting. And as ever, I, I learned a few more things about uh, um, Brazilian politics and the general director. So, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. I mean, and congratulations for your podcast. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, so, uh, we'll stop there. So, um, Thank you very much. And uh, next week, um, we'll actually have uh, Dan Murray back again as I take a well-deserved break. (laughs) Thank you very much, everybody, and uh, speak to you soon.